welcome to Agape Ministries Podcasts, a whole new way of thinking. Episode 88, part two of the talk given by Father Timothy Radcliffe entitled Hope, Living in the Moment. Surprisingly, it was a friend of mine, a Methodist minister, who's written beautifully about the need to recover the monastic rhythm of time. Ian Stackhouse. He said, it seems to me that the battle for civilization will pivot on the outrageously simple challenge of living a day well, discovering the hope of each moment. In Genesis it says there was evening and there was morning one day. Biblical days always begin in the evening as we do on Christmas Eve or we begin Easter on the vigil. That's why uh, we can celebrate a Sunday Mass on Saturday evening because it is in fact really when Sunday begins. Why is that? Why do we begin in the evening? I think it's because the day leads to the triumph of light. Let there be light. Light isn't the default position. Every dawn is a victory over the dark. A victory that's re-enacted. So we always start initially in the dark. Now, I was tempted to look at all seven prayers of the day, but then you would look at your homogenous watches and get very impatient. So we just take three. There was evening and there was morning, a day. There was an evening. John shows us Jesus offering his sign of hope to the disciples in the evening before they died. For our ancestors who were living before electricity, the fall of night was a time of fear when evil spirits and ghosts roamed the earth and wild animals went out to hunt. I suspect that few of us are entirely free of the fear of the night. Have you ever tried to walk through a wood at midnight? And night is the time when we're haunted by anxieties. It's at two o'clock in the morning, perhaps, that you suddenly think you've got swine flu. (laughs) It's often then that I, I think of my diary and all the engagements I've accepted, and I despair. Why on earth did I ever agree to give that lecture in Westminster? No one's ever articulated the despair of the night better than the Jesuit poet, Jeremy Hopkins. Oh, the mind, the mind has mountains, cliffs of fall, frightful, sheer, no man fathomed. Hold them cheap, may who ne'er hung there. All day long, we are tempted to be in control. 
Charles Taylor, in an extraordinary recent book called A Secular Age, has argued that a fundamental characteristic of secularism, a world where God is remote or absent, is the desire to take control. The Middle Ages was a more complex age in some ways of checks and balances. They knew there was only one person in control, really, and that was God. But then you get the evolution of this mechanical way of seeing the world where control must be in our hands. Remember the cartoon of that Victorian atheist who said, I never believed in God until I realized that I was he. <laughs> you see the rise of absolute monarchs, the strengthening of the state. You see the establishment of standing armies, the police. We begin to lock up the poor because they are a menace. They must be controlled. They're no longer our brothers and sisters in Christ. You lock up the, the mentally infirm, the mentally ill, what Michel Foucault calls the great lock-up of the 18th century. Now, going to sleep at night, turning off the light, letting go, is extremely difficult for our culture of control. Because it says, just let it be. Stackhouse writes, nighttime commits the ultimate heresy for modern people, getting us to stop. To sleep well, one has to relinquish, let go. And since letting go is not something we're good at, many of us don't sleep well at night. So the night offers its particular form of hope, which is that we may dare let things be placed in God's hands. Into your hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. Jesus slept during the storm, trusting that his father would not let the forces of chaos overwhelm him. So we have to let go the day and its hurts and wounds. Paul says, do not let the sun set on your anger. Or Sir Thomas Brown, that great Renaissance man, do not let the sun go down upon your wrath. Draw the curtain of night upon injuries. Shut them in the tower of oblivion and let them be as though they had not been. For our ancestors... Going to sleep at night was like a mini death, which is why many of them slept in their coffins. It's only if you let go the day that you will learn one day to let go your life and so be given a new life. So the song of the hope of the evening is the Nocturnitis. Now, Lord, you let your servant depart in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation it's the loss of control that opens our hearts and minds to what's new new thoughts germinate in the dark just as new 
seeds germinate in the soil. Rilke wrote beautifully, in spite of all the farmer's work and worry, he can't reach down to where the seed is slowly transmuted into summer. The earth bestows. And I think we could say the night bestows. So there was evening, and then there was morning. And dawn is traditionally the time for the singing of lords, which means praises. And churches are built to face east, so that we may face the rising sun and its victory overnight. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, the early morning belongs to the church of the risen Christ. And it's at dawn that Mary Magdalene encounters the risen Christ in the garden. If all goes absolutely perfectly to plan, then just as the sun rises, we will be singing the Benedictus, the song of Zechariah, welcoming his son John the Baptist. When the day shall dawn from us on high to give light to those who live in darkness in the shadow of death. So the prayer of dawn offers us a different hope. It's the hope for what's new and different. We leave behind the old world when we go to sleep and we're ready for new blessings. The trouble is that often we are afraid of the new. We like our old routines. Stackhouse told me the story about once a man went into a factory and when lunchtime came, he opened his sandwiches and he said, oh, cheese sandwiches. The next day he came back, lunchtime, opened up the sandwiches again and he said, cheese sandwiches again. The third day, it was exactly the same thing and his friend said to him, well, why don't you ask your wife to prepare different sandwiches? And he said, oh, I'm the one who prepares them. <laughs> It's easy to be stuck in the old. Our old failures, our old limitations, our familiar sins, the relationships with people we love or don't can get trapped in established patterns, along, run along familiar railway lines, spouses fight the same old battles decade after decade, you know, when you open the cages of zoos, when some mad people do that occasionally, the animals normally don't want to come out. So how can we open ourselves up to the new? How do we begin the day and receive its hope? Is it set in a rut that impedes no novelty? Do you always begin, this is the moment of confession, by turning on the Today programme? <laughs> Cardinal Bernardin was a sort of pretty standard, sort of a career bishop, you know. Going up the ladder, very successful. And one day he had a meeting with his priests, and they said, uh, Bishop, he was there, they said, well, Bishop, uh, tell us about your prayer life. 
But then he realized he didn't have one. And he realized that in the future he would have to give the first hour of every day to God if he was to be renewed, received anew. And it was that discipline that transformed him from being a career bishop to being one of the most loved people in the United States. When he died, over a million people lined the streets of Chicago to say goodbye to a beloved person, beloved of all faiths and none. Now, I'm not suggesting that you've all got time to give the first hour to the Lord. You've probably got to send off kids to school and prepare things and you're rushing to get breakfast and get to the station. But I think somehow, if we are to receive that gift of hope, we have to find some way of giving a pause, opening ourselves to the door, God's door, God's novelty at the beginning of every day. I mean, I love the Today program too. But God's today is more restorative, ultimately. Hope John Humphreys isn't here. <laughs> of course, the world doesn't show many signs of new hope at the moment. But I think you've got to open your eyes and learn how to see them. They're always there. But you've got to learn to look in the right direction. Once I, when I was touring India, visiting the order, I was taken to uh, see the dawn rise on Mount Everest. These barrel-chested young Nepalese made me walk for three hours through the night till finally we arrived at St. Peter's Hill where you could see the dawn. I was extremely irritated to see a hundred tourists had arrived by bus. <laughs> but they all looked in the wrong direction. They looked at the sun rising. And the sun rising there is just like the sun rising anywhere else. You have to look in the right direction, which is where you see the light transforming Mount Everest, from black to grey to pink. And usually the right direction to look, if you want to see the signs of God's novelty, is among the poor. That's usually where it's happening. That's where the Son of God was born in that fertile act, that most fertile moment of nativity. I remember once visiting a, a rubbish tip in Jamaica 30 years ago, where a whole community of people live on the rubbish tip. And I was walking along this squelchy, squelchy, terrible place, and I saw a box. And in the box lived a woman and her son. And they invited me in to accept their hospitality and to have a glass of Coca-Cola. And the son asked if we could swap T-shirts. I treasured that T-shirt for years. Unfortunately, it no longer seems to fit me. <laughs> I think it must have shrunk a bit in the wash, you know. 
But there are, if your eyes are peeled, there are the signs of hope. There was evening and there was morning and a day. And midday offers its own form of hope and despair. According to Evagrius Ponticus, desert father, it makes it seem that the, I quote him here, it makes it seem that the sun barely moves if at all. The day is 50 hours long and it installs in the heart of the monk a hatred for the place, a hatred for his very life, a hatred for manual labor. This is what the desert fathers called the noonday demon. Acidy, lethargy. You think that your life's going nowhere, you've wasted it all. You should have been an actor instead of an accountant. You should have been married to somebody else or to nobody. You should have migrated to Australia instead of staying in Milton Keynes. <laughs> Rowan Williams talks of the temptation to think that if anyone were elsewhere, all would be well. Somewhere else I will be nicer, holier, more balanced, more detached about criticism, more disciplined, able to sing in tune, and probably thinner too. <laughs> Our brethren run the cathedral parish in Anchorage in Alaska. And they said so many people there have fled to Alaska thinking they could leave all their problems behind them. And they don't. So if you're thinking of relocating to Alaska, forget it. <laughs> Running away solves nothing. Hoping at midday is believing that it's somehow here and now that I will find the way to the future. Abba Moses said, sit in your cell and your cell will teach you everything. Or a desert mother, Amosynclectica. If you are living in a monastic community, do not go to another place. It will only do you a great deal of harm. If the bird abandons the egg she's been sitting on, she prevents them hatching. And in the same way, the monk or nun will grow cold and their faith will perish if they just flee to another place. So the hope of midday is often to stay where you are and believe that it is here that you will find the way to the future. The present is pregnant with infinity. Now, let me stress this is not the same as the American dream. When Barack Obama was elected, everybody said, this proves the American dream. You can be whatever you want. As Constance Briscoe said in her autobiography, Beyond Ugly, anybody can be what they want. You just have to believe in yourself. This, alas, is not true. I could never run a four-minute mile or be the provincial bursar. I haven't got the body for one or the mind for the other. You cannot be whatever you want. But you can be much more than that. 
you can be a child of God. As the Father said so often, God became human so that we might become divine. That's the hope of the midday. So, if the Nunc Dimittis is the prayer of night, and the Benedictus is the song of the dawn, what is the song of midday? Well, I leave that to you. I sometimes think it's any song, any song that you can bring to break the tight hold of lethargy. So, let us try to recover a rhythm of hoping in our lives, which is a contemplative rhythm, learning to hope as we face the night, letting everything go. Into your hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. Hoping in the dawn, trusting that the new will be given, and hoping in the midday when one feels tempted by lethargy and despair. Thank you very much. So thank you for taking the time to listen to these episodes. Our prayer is that as you listen and reflect on these teachings, that you'll be encouraged to continue your journey, to maximize your potential, to have a good and a happy life. So sign in again next week for more teaching on how you can follow the Jesus way to experience your life as filled with meaning, purpose and joy. So God bless and stay safe.